Before we get started this week, two quick things. Number one, we want to welcome a very special new member of our family. Yeah. Her name is... Tessa Lee, and she's our new producer. Yeah. Don't worry, Anna's not going anywhere. Yeah, Anna's still with us. Just now we have two other members of the family. Yeah, the One More Thing family continues to expand because we're just getting bigger and bigger, and so we need more and more people to help us out. Yeah. So now Anna and Tessa are our producers. So starting from here on out, you're going to hear us talking about Anna. You're going to hear us talk about Tessa. Tessa might even chime in every yeah. once in a while. Big special thank you to Anna and Tessa who helped us a lot with the, our live event that happened yesterday. Which is thing number two, <laughs> which is thank you so much if you came to our live event yesterday. Our live event. Who Weekly's live event that yeah, we were that we were, <laughs> that we were guested to. <laughs> Where we talked about Leah Michelle and... Our classic theory about how she's illiterate. Yeah. We had an amazing time. If you were already a listener and you came, thank you so much. If you were already a listener and you didn't come, what the fuck is wrong with you? If you... We're not already a listener, and you discovered us from that show. Welcome. And if you weren't already a listener, you didn't come to the show, and you're not listening now, then have I got news for you, buddy? <laughs> if you had fun during I just had a root beer, and I'm feeling hyped. <laughs> it had no caffeine in it. If you want us to do something like that a little more often, email us, tweet at us, DM us, whatever you want to do, and tell us to, you know, do a live event. Yeah, and tweet at your favorite venues and be like, I got this cool show that I've heard of. Carnegie Hall. Guess yeah. what? <laughs> hey, Radio City Music Hall. I've got an idea. <laughs> anyway, here's an episode. We're excited. We love it. Thank you for listening. And don't sound too enthused. <laughs> I'm crashing from that root beer. <laughs> it's been 30 seconds. Okay, here's the But episode. all right, let's start the episode. Mm, great. with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. Is this a very special episode? I wouldn't say this is like a very special episode, but it is a special episode yeah. in that it's sort of a pilot for us. It's the pilot of our religion series. Yeah. We've had a couple of people who have reached out to us and said that they were interested in us covering homosexuality and religion. Mm -hmm. And so we thought we'd start with the broadest sense of the word, which is Christianity, yeah. which I recently learned means a lot of things. I thought it was one thing. Apparently there are different kinds of Christianity. Yeah. Pretty exciting. And so let us know if you enjoy this and let us know if you or someone you know would be interested in contributing to a future episode about religion. We'd love to cover other religions. But that being said, the conversation that we'll be having today is only homosexuality mm -hmm. and only Christianity. There is a whole other conversation to be had about trans people and Christianity, and we want to sort of focus in today on homosexuality. And again, in our series, perhaps, if people have interest, we will cover, you know, the relationship between trans people yeah. and Christianity or trans people in another religion. Let us know what you want to hear, basically. Yeah. Engage with us. We just want feedback. Just putting forth right now, this is not us judging religion or Christianity at all. Right. It's just us kind of diving into the idea of two things that, to the general public oppose each other and what that means and what it means to people and just kind of researching it a little bit. I know almost nothing about Christianity and I sort of learned everything I know about Christianity from movies and TV. So we put together a little list of media we could think of that had, you know, homosexual themes and Christian themes together. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, 
first thing, we couldn't think of any lesbian Christian content. Yeah. The only two things I could think of were the Children's Hour, which is not about Christianity. It's about a Catholic school. Okay. I don't think that really counts because God never sort of comes into it. It's, it's about the school, not about the religion. Okay. And then the other thing is The Little Hours, which is a movie that recently oh, came out right. and, ha- and is about nuns and has some lesbian content in it. However, it's... Some lesbian content. A lot of lesbian content. However, it's based on the Decameron, which came out thousands of years ago. <laughs> yeah. So I... Discredited. Yes. The lesbian content of The Little Hours and the religion uh-huh. have nothing to do with each other. Right. It kind of happens very separately. Well, the lesbians are witches. Well, don't spoil it. Hey, it's us from the future. We recorded this episode a couple weeks ago, and we said a couple seconds ago in the episode that there are no movies about lesbians in Christianity. Yeah. Little did we know that two weeks after we recorded this, we would see one of the best movies of the year. Ever, yeah. Sure. That is about lesbians in Christianity. It's called Thelma. It's a Norwegian horror movie. It is about a lesbian. Yeah. Who is Christian. Yeah. And is not coming to terms with her sexuality, but she's exploring her sexuality in ways that she's never really realized before. Yeah, she's trying to sort of find the relationship between her sexuality and her Christianity. Yeah. There's sort of a recurring theme of she will sort of I don't think this is spoiling anything, but she'll experience like gay feelings and then she'll go and like pray about it to try and get it to go away. Yeah, I think it happens a couple times and the first time you see it, she when she prays she kneels down against a wall and puts her forehead to the wall Yeah, and she looks very very upset. Yeah, but unfortunately it's just another movie where Christianity and homosexuality are sort of in direct opposition. Because there's not a point in Thelma where she's like, oh, religion and sexuality can coexist. And I don't want to say what the ending is, because that would spoil a lot of stuff. But she doesn't really ever decide, like, I can be gay and be Christian. Yeah, there is never a, like, these two things can happen and I'm okay situation. Yeah, there's never sort of a relationship established between Christianity and homosexuality that isn't directly combative. Yeah. Which isn't great. No, but it's a really nice step forward in what we're talking about a week ago when we recorded this we thought that there was nothing and, and now there's there is. something anyway back to our regular re- regularly scheduled content <laughs> I know that I am sinned for you God why do you do this against me? what do you want The main thing that we found when we were looking into gay Christian content was there's sort of two main themes, which are gay men dying and gay men converting to heterosexuality. Yeah. You see gay men dying in things like the Laramie Project. Right. Or Sigourney Weaver's Prayers for Bobby. Right. Well, I mean, the big sort of story about gay men being converted is the story of Michael Glotzi, maybe, (laughs) who was... A former gay actor activist who became an evangelical Christian and sort of went straight and married a woman. And I didn't really know anything about him until Nor we did I. saw this movie. And the only reason that we saw this movie called I Am Michael is because our two number one bays were in it yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> it was Zachary Quinto and Emma Roberts. So it was like a big deal for us. <laughs> it was also really great for me because I didn't know that Charlie Carver was in yeah. it. Yeah. And he has a threesome. So it was really rough for me. And I it was... Definitely watched it since. <laughs> it was great for me because Emma Roberts wore glasses in it. She did. And she had brown hair? Yeah, she had brown hair. But it's a movie about James Franco and you see him for a while 
while as a gay activist. And then he just, he finds the church mm-hmm. and meets Emma Roberts and they fall in love. And, and he's like, he becomes straight. And Zachary Quinto is like, you're not straight. And he's like, but I am, my friend. There was also a documentary released about him because this is a real guy. Yeah. And in the documentary, he, you know, it's been several years now that he's been with his wife. And he's like, yeah, I love her. I am straight. He has children now. He is very happy. And I mean, obviously not to like shit on anyone's journey. And if that is what happened to him, good for him. I just personally think it's dangerous to be like, yep, conversion can work. Because, you know, for in his case, it was just sort of like, he prayed and then he was straight, which is not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of gay conversion situations for teenagers that are more dangerous mm-hmm. for those teenagers. And so I don't personally think that it's great to advocate for conversion because there are ways that it happens that really seriously, emotionally and physically damage children. And then the third sort of category of media, yeah, like gay Christian content is male priests molesting children, mm-hmm. male children, which we see in doubt mm-hmm. and in spotlight spotlight yeah. we see it a lot yeah and it's kind of hurtful i mean obviously we're not here to like we're not like a serious journalism podcast yeah but i still think it is important that we acknowledge this because this has sort of also come up recently with a certain celebrity who will remain nameless there is a big difference between being gay and molesting children even if those children are of the same sex as you and i think the priests who molest the choir boys it's unfortunate that they're lumped in with like gay christians there are a lot of gay christians who Mm -hmm. absolutely would never touch a child yeah. Because there are a lot that most gay people would absolutely never touch a child. Yeah. And so I think it's really unfortunate that that becomes sort of like a prevailing notion about gay Christians. And that's my two cents. What we are here to do as a podcast is tell you to go watch Spotlight. So what happened on that first visit, Joe? Well, he's very nice at first. Very funny. Very casual. And I think he could tell I was gay. So he showed me this mobile he had. Like over a baby script, mm-hmm. but with different words: homosexual, transsexual, bisexual. Okay, and uh, did you know you were gay at that time, Joe? <laughs> yeah, but that wasn't information I was sharing with anybody. Not in Dorchester. Okay. So, what happened after he showed you the mobile? Well, I was a little freaked out. <laughs> I think he could tell. So he said, you know, what will help is if we play Stripoka. Of course, I lost. And uh, things went on from there. This week, we put theory into practice. We went to church. We went to church. This was my first time ever going to church. I have been to two churches in my life. I've been to Notre Dame Mm -hmm. and the cathedral where Captain and Maria von Tramp got married. That's it. This was my first time going to church in the city. I've only ever been to churches in like small towns. So it was weird walking into a space where you're in New York and you don't really expect everybody to like know each other. And one of the first things that I said when we walked in was like, everybody knows each other. We were immediately immediately welcomed. We walked in and we were like, hey, we're new. And a bunch of people were like, welcome, let's explain it to you. And like totally helped us out, showed us what to do, told us where to go. We sat down like in the back corner and it was amazing to see that literally every single person there was like greeting each other like they were family. Like it was just so funny because it was so similar to all the movies I've watched where people go to church and it's like, or like the books I've read where like the whole church family like knows each other, like in Joyful Noise with Queen Latifah and Dolly Parton. Sure. Like everyone knows each other, you know? Mm-hmm. We went to to Judson Memorial Church, which is a gay church. It's a queer, I think it's a queer friendly church. 
church. Yeah. When you Google gay church, it's one of the number one choices to go to in the city. Yeah. And it's a church that's been around for a long, long time. And they're very queer friendly. They're very woman friendly. It's run by a woman. And it's really cool. We had an amazing time. So we went on the first Sunday of the month, which was the Feast of Agape. Yeah, which I had never, I didn't know that was a thing. It was amazing. We got to have food. Neither of us consumed the food. Well, we learned that agape means love. Love. It's one of the words for love in the Bible and that there are a lot of different words for love in the Bible, but this one is like pure, like love. Community love. love. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things right off the bat was while this older man was explaining to us what all the different versions of love was, he was like, well, and then there's erotic love. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, I was literally like, excuse me, sir, we're in church. (laughs) Calm down. (laughs) But it really kind of set the tone because it was the whole service was just very open and very realistic and grounded and really down to earth, which was really nice to feel, which was not necessarily what I was expecting going in. The Reverend Dr. Donna Shaper, who gave the speech when we were there. The sermon. The sermon. Who gave the sermon when we were there. Mentioned sex many times in her sermon. And every time I was like, this is so cool because I had no idea that was like, I was like, you can't say that in church. Yeah. Her sermon was about Trump and it was about the sexual assaults that are happening right now, which wasn't necessarily something I was expecting because the sermons that I have been to in the past are mostly like, today we will talk about this passage in the Bible. And it's more of like, here's a lesson about from the Bible. And here's like kind what we can think about in today's society that like relates back to it. Instead, Reverend Donna was just like, here's what's going on in today's society. And here's how like we as a people should be thinking about it in order to spread as much love as possible. Yeah. My favorite part of the sermon was that she got up there and she was like, listen, last week we had a guest preacher who did some things that some people in the congregation didn't like. And a bunch of you wanted me to talk about it. And so I'm going to. Mm -hmm. And she just sort of got up there and like addressed the concerns that people in the congregation had had. And I thought that was so cool that when I think of church, personally, as someone who has not a lot of experience with the church, I think of it as very like strict and structured. And like, I never would have imagined that a preacher could get up there and be like, we were wrong. Or like, Mm -hmm. I hear you, but I disagree, you know, which I thought was just really incredible. And also, oh my God, her sermon was so good. I knew that you were into it as soon as she was like, did any of you read this article in New York Magazine? And you were like, I did. So we actually, this is really exciting. We have one of the pastors from Judson Church with us today. His name is Reverend Micah Busey, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about what it's like being queer and working in the church. Homosexuality and Christianity at odds with each other is sort of like a hot button issue. Mm -hmm. And we thought it would be interesting to sort of get a perspective on that that we don't hear a lot about. So when we come back from this break, we'll be here with Micah Busey. Oh my god, I've been loving this episode, but I have to take a quick break because I have to talk about something really important. Oh yeah? Which is Patreon. Oh. Do you know what Patreon is? No, tell me. Patreon is a website that allows crowdfunding. So it's like Kickstarter <laughs> for people that already have things going yeah, on? Yeah, it's like Kickstarter, but it's monthly. So like you could sign up in once a month. You could just give some money to a project that you think is really like cool or interesting or exciting. Like, you know, maybe a podcast. Go to patreon.com forward slash one more thing and you can be entered at the $1 level, the $5 level, the $10 level, any level you want. There's also an extra special $1,000 level. Yeah, if you Uh, put $1,000 down every month, you get nudes. Full frontal. Yeah. And rear, if that's what you're into. Yeah. I mean, you you tell us. (laughs) If you're giving us $1,000 a month. I'll bend however you want me to. 
We're now here with Micah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. So we went to Judson the Judson. other day to try and see you, but you weren't there. You were doing your father's sermon in Fort Myers. Fort Myers? Fort Myers, Florida. What is the sermon? Basically, my father, who is a preacher man, I'm the son of a preacher man. Uh, <laughs> they, yeah, right? <laughs> Only one who could ever teach you. He has been a minister all of my life and just recently, last March, moved down to Fort Myers, Florida and is now the minister at the only UCC church in Fort Myers. Mm -hmm. And we do something called an installation. So weirdly, it's now like months after he arrived, but it's essentially the church welcoming him as the minister. Um, So it would have been really awkward if they hadn't installed him after months of working there. (laughs) But basically, there's a guest preacher who comes down for an installation. And so I was invited down and I told the story of my father basically like changing his entire life to support me as a gay man. And uh, and it was it, it was really successful. Hmm. It was lovely. He has a very lovely congregation. They're an open and affirming congregation. And I don't know if you know what that means, but no. in the UCC, the United Church of Christ, there is a kind of stamp you can get as a congregation called open and affirming, which means that you have gone through a process together as a congregation to say that you are active celebrators of LGBTQ people. And so they are that. And he is kind of the perfect minister for for a congregation like that. And I came down and preached a really, really queer sermon. (laughs) Said the word queer a lot. And they ate it all up. And it was was lovely. Oh, that's amazing. We were just talking about how there was a moment when Donna was speaking and she used the word queer. And we were both like, ah, what? Yeah. It's true. It's funny because they're basically, I I started using it a lot when I first started preaching at Judson in 2011. And over the past few years, like we've just kind of had this evolution of using it as a noun, using it as a verb, using it as an adjective, and kind of playing with it, queering it in, in as many ways as possible. And it moves me every time, especially when a young person who's either been really damaged by church or who has no context for church kind of is like, well, let's check out this weird like arts justice place that kind <laughs> of thinks it's a church as well, comes to the service and they see me up there with my nails painted, or you know, they see Donna who is nearing 70 years old and she uses a term you know like queer in her sermon and they have that moment that that moves me every time because I know that there aren't tons of churches that do that but I think it's it's sort of a radical way of giving hospitality to people who think that they'd never be welcome in a Christian church. I definitely got choked up when she referred to the fact, she said, I wrote it down, she said, a lot of us come here because we're sick and tired of being told we're wrong because we're queer. And I li- like almost actually started crying because I was like, I just imagined what it would feel like to hear that if you had been told your whole life by the church that you were wrong because you were queer. And then to hear that coming from the church, I was like, that's such a beautiful thing mm-hmm. that you guys do for the community. I agree. And and certainly the, the church did it for me when I first started coming because I kind of, I thought that I would be a minister from a very young age. It was my context. My father's a Christian minister, as I said. And so I came to New York, came to undergrad at Fordham and thought, oh, I'm going to go straight into seminary right afterward. And then halfway through undergrad, I came out and I was unfortunately like kind of reading a lot of fundamentalist Christian literature, not because my father had ever told me I should, but because that weirdly kind of, they have this way of getting inside minds and, and especially young minds who are searching and, and seeing. Right. And, and I thought, oh, I can't couple these two things 
anymore. If I'm going to be gay, I can't pursue faith. I can't seek this anymore. And so I ran from it for about 10 years. And then when I started to feel this weird kind of mystical call back to being a minister, I was like, well, if I go back to church, it has to be affirming of queer people. It has to be, you know, welcoming to artists. It has to be like <laughs> justice seeking, all these things. And I was like, I'll, I'll go and see if there's something like that. And I walked into Judson and they were like, yep, 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 yep. We've been doing that and that and that for decades. So I just never left. And now I kind of backed my way into a job and it's the greatest honor of my life. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of what Judson is and the history? So basically, I mean, Judson has been at the bottom of Washington Square Park since the 1890s. And, you know, it's certainly gone through an evolution, but it started off as a, as a Baptist church and it remains an American Baptist church and is now affiliated with, with several denominations. But from its opening, it was always about justice. So it was always about seeking who were being left in the shadows, um, who were being ignored by other churches or by society at large, and reaching out to them and, and helping them. And so, you know, for the first decades of its existence, it basically was just all about the immigrant population in that immediate vicinity, mm. especially mm -hmm. because Washington Square Park at that time, and then still maybe sort of today, was the kind of cross where above it was the affluent rich people and below it were the poor immigrants. And so Judson was like, well, we're going to be like that place right at the center who will be kind of welcoming immigrants in when the people above the park are, are wanting them out. It's sort of continued that radical history ever since and has been sort of at the forefront of, of a lot of justice movements and was open and affirming of queer people decades before that was a thing to do. Especially starting in the 50s under the leadership of a minister named Howard Moody, it started to really, really reach out for it to further its justice seeking and become like really, really on the forefront of, of gay and lesbian movements. And so a lot of our members were and continue to be gay and lesbian people who went to church when they were growing up and had that experience that I had of, of sort of not thinking that they could be gay and Christian anymore. And then going to, to Judson and walking in and seeing, oh, this feels familiar enough that it feels like church and it feels different enough that it doesn't feel like those terrible things about church that damaged me. And, you know, up to today, we're kind of continuing to try to queer ourselves and learn. And it's a big group of people who love getting into a room and asking questions and, and trying to find answers together and not relying on like Christian dogma and, and doctrine mm -hmm. uh, telling us what we're supposed to think. Would you say that the majority of the congregation is queer or is it more of like a broader, everyone is welcome here situation? We're known as, as a gay church mm -hmm. and we aren't really. I'd say that we're pretty evenly, we're pretty even straight and gay. But since you use the word queer and ask queer, the first sermon I ever gave at Judson while I was in seminary in 2011 was essentially asking the question of what does the Q at the end of, of this initialism mean? Is it queer or questioning? And we basically were saying like, what if we put those two things together and said like, to be queer is to be asking questions all the time. And if that is what that could mean, then that means that everybody in this room has the potential to be queer, even if you aren't gay, even if you aren't lesbian, mm -hmm. even, even if you aren't any of these other initials. It was this interesting turning point where I think we were a congregation where the straight people were 
active celebrants of gay and lesbian people. Uh-huh. But it was this time where it was sort of like, oh, can we get behind this word? Can we can we embrace this word as well? And even the controversy of that was sort of like I was like lean into the controversy too. There are pe- there are <laughs> there are people across the spectrum who don't think that what I even said in this sermon is accurate. Mm-hmm. But that to me is what a sermon and a service at Judson is. And that's it's not me as a minister saying like, well now you're all queer. It's me saying like, what if mm-hmm. this word applied to you? What would that mean to you? Hmm. And that's sort of I try to queer ideas and queer. Christian tradition and queer ideas of like who we are and what it means to be a justice-seeking church, what it means to be artists, basically every Sunday. And hmm. thank God I have a wonderful congregation who are really, really smart who come up after the sermon or after the service and are able to challenge what I say or ask me to clarify. And it becomes a dialogue in a way that I don't think people expect at church. Yeah, I saw in the program that after every sermon, there's like a coffee hour where everyone just like chats, which I think is so cool. And I don't know if that's like a thing at most churches, but I I think it's great that you guys are open to people sort of answering you back Mm -hmm. and saying like, I disagree with this or like, what do you think about this? I think that's really exciting in a way that I never knew that Christianity could be. Yeah, I've been to churches where there's something kind of afterwards, but it's always very forced. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, all right, now we're all going to go like say hi to these people and these people and like, thank you for the sermon and then you leave. There was this weird feeling of community and I've never experienced an actual community in a church before and until Judson. Yeah. I'm just busy on my phone. Oh yeah, you are. Robert, what, you're, you look like you're busy on your phone. <laughs> this is I am, I am. Horrible improv exercise. <laughs> what are you doing over there on your phone, Robert? I'm actually trying to find us on Instagram. Well, I believe our username is one more thing with an A because I was taken. Oh my God, that's your name on Twitter too. What about on Facebook though? I posted a status about listening and it's at One More Thing Podcast. Yeah, you too, listener, can post about One More Thing and bring your friends in. And if you really want like something extra special, we're still improving here. (laughs) You can go to tinyletter.com forward slash One More Thing and you'll get a newsletter from us every Wednesday written by my friend Robert here. Oh. I love this newsletter. I seriously, I'll, I'll be like at work or something and I'll get a notification like, oh, newsletter time, gotta read it. Because I have no idea what you're gonna write. And it's always full of like gifts and like fun links. I love it. So for uh, a special surprise every Wednesday in your email inbox, tinyletter.com forward slash one more thing. Was there ever a time where someone was like, you are not allowed to be a minister or do anything like that because of your sexuality? The only person who was doing that to me was me. And I don't want to overstate that because the reason that I was able to say that to myself was because of what I was reading. So Hmm. the first time that I ever felt like Christianity was not a place where I was welcome was somewhere between my my sophomore and junior year of college where I had this thing, this magical Bible called the Teen Study Bible, which had all of these like extra things in it. So it's like a Bible plus like all of these fundamentalist tracts inside it. Weirdly enough, I used that very Bible as a prop in a play I did in college. It's a disaster. It's crazy. (laughs) It's wild. It is a garbage piece of literature. (laughs) 
<laughs> so basically what they did, I mean, among tons of other things, was that, and I hope that this thing no longer exists, but <laughs> I fear that it does. But, it does. but basically it had a thing in it that was kind of like a fake advice column. I don't remember. It was like Dear and Dear or something. And they were like stuck in between like all of the different books of the Bible. And one was like, Dear Andy, you know, my friend says that he thinks that he might be gay. What am I supposed to do? And whereas all of the other answers from Andy were sort of like kind of qualified and kind of like sort of like leading you through the questions and, and the ways that you could talk to somebody. This one was basically like, that is wrong. You should not be friends with this person anymore. You should really pray for it, for this kid's soul. You know, all these things. And I was sort of like, oh my gosh. Holy crap, like I, if this is Christianity, then this budding queerness that I feel like that's not welcome here anymore. And unfortunately, I was at just such an impressionable age mm -hmm. that at, at age 19, I wasn't able to separate the fact that like huh. those were things that were written by somebody in like 1998 yeah. and right. not like the things that were actually in, in the Bible. Now that said, I was able to then link it to, there, there are, you know, what are called clobber verses in the Bible that are used by anti-gay people to say like, well, this is in the Bible, this is what they say, mm -hmm. and those verses are there. I think a nuanced discussion says like, well, how do we interpret those now and what was happening in the context in which these were written? Um, but at that time, I couldn't really separate those things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was whoever wrote that thing saying to me, you know, gay people aren't welcome, and then me connecting that to, well, if I'm gay, then therefore I cannot be a minister and I cannot even be a Christian. Luckily, I threw that Bible over. <laughs> so now that you've moved past that, do you find that your sexuality is sort of intertwined with your faith or do they exist separately for you? Absolutely. I went through this, this phase where I was engaged and the relationship broke up and I had always been in love with like the Jesuit tradition. So I said to one of my Jesuit priest friends, I was like, I think I might be a priest. I think I, maybe I want to be a priest. And he sort of received that. And then we met up again and he was sort of like, I've really been thinking about like you being a priest. And he was like, your queerness, your sexuality, and the way that you exist in the world as a sexual being is so attached, I think, to, to any kind of charisma that you have as a minister, that I would never want you to be in a vocation where that's stripped of you and you're, and you're supposed to be celibate. And I don't know how close I had been to really thinking that I should be a priest, <laughs> but I was like, oh, you're right. A, I love having sex, but B, I can't think of a time where my queerness and my identity as a gay man and, and as a queer person did not totally explode and undergird everything that I believe, everything that I say as a minister, and add glitter to it in a way that opens it up even more. So I think it's connected in, in every single way I can think. I think that's so beautiful because we were talking before you got here about how I feel like the idea that a lot of people have of the relationship between Christianity and homosexuality is of the like horrible, horrible priests who do horrible things to young boys. Mm -hmm. And as sort of like these priests who have to suppress their sexuality and it comes out in these like disgusting, horrible ways. And I think that's so such a horrible conflation of like sexuality with just perversion and like I think it's really great to hear that the two can exist in sort of like a beautiful complementary way instead of in a way that sort of like combusts into a horrible crime. We're talking about movies like Doubt and Spotlight and so that brings me to has there ever been a time where you have seen yourself accurately represented in any sort of media? 
I rarely see sort of ministers who are Protestant ministers and not not Catholic priests. I rarely see them kind of anywhere. I watch Preacher. I don't know if y'all watch that show on FX. Yeah, it's like Tom Hardy or someone. Dominic. Oh, um, yeah, 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 The guy yeah, from yeah. Mamma Mia. The guy from Mamma Mia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. And it, I think it's amazing. And I mean, he's not, he is not a gay man. But again, like, if we're, depending on how we're, how we can, like, queer the word queer and use it, like, I think it's such a beautifully queer show because it's so sacrilegious. Like, it's it's just, like, throwing into question everything. And it's this, it's this minister who, he's been in, infected by what he thinks is the voice of God. And we don't know yet like what it actually is, but he has the power to to sort of like say to somebody, do this and they do it. But now like the actual God has gone missing. So he's like on this road trip with his friends, like trying to find God. There's so much about it that probably is like, probably very heteronormative as well. But when I watch it, I'm sort of like, oh, this is the first time I've ever seen a minister who kind of starts to look a little bit like how I want to exist in the world, which is like being comfortable with who you are outside of your priest costume and your minister costume, but appreciating that who you are and and totally embodying yourself authentically and getting up in front of your congregation and embodying yourself authentically, confessing your own shortcomings, you know, telling your own stories about your life, that that is the way to really speak to people. I think that a lot of times we just see ministers in media like either like abusing children Mm -hmm. or like giving these really dry sermons, you know, yeah. in, in whatever, you know, random scene in, in a movie. And it's sort of like, no, there's a way to exist as a spiritual leader where you're pretty badass and and the only thing that you're that separates you from everyone else is that you've tasked yourself and your congregation is tasking you with like thinking and questioning the mysteries of existence. Mm-hmm. And so I guess preacher <laughs> <laughs> But he's straight, but he's got spiky hair. I know, there's some people can't see me, so I got spiky hair. (laughs) On the subway ads for it. This is probably a stupid question. I'm just very interested. What's your favorite adaptation of the Bible in terms of like a movie or a musical or a book or anything? Wow. Like, you mean beyond the Bible? But Yes, beyond the Bible. Well, because there are different versions of the Bible. No, yeah, not like, what's your favorite translation of the Bible? Like, what's your favorite? (laughs) I could go down that road, it would probably be a very dry podcast. (laughs) We'll skip over that. I'll start by saying that my my actual favorite things are not necessarily, like, direct adaptations Mm -hmm. of the Bible, but when I can recognize something, because these things run through pop culture and and, Mm -hmm. and highbrow culture all over the place, like Carolina Change. You've probably listened to that soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not not accusing. (laughs) Call me out. But like, you know, how many times have we listened to that? And how many how many people listen to that song because it's an amazing song Mm -hmm. and actually don't know the story of Lot's wife, but we've kind of like they've got like a little bit of a grain in their brain now. A grain of salt. A grain of salt or sand. I was obsessed. I have to like figure out how, how honest I want to be here. Oh no. Um, I mean, I really was a fan of Joseph and the Amazing Jack and Billy Greencoat when I was uh, growing up. Oh um, boy, and you're I, in the right place. <laughs> and what's funny about Joseph for me, and again, going back to like how often biblical characters are portrayed in our culture as being white when they probably weren't. Well, when they definitely weren't. Right. You know, I kind of have to, I have to like say that first before I say like, I don't know that I've ever seen an adaptation of the Joseph story where Joseph wasn't really hot. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, totally. And, like, so I yeah. <laughs> was obsessed with, so I saw Joseph 
in the, in the amazing technical dream code in London the summer after I graduated from high school. And there was a man named Jason Donovan, this British, very hot blonde guy. And then when I saw it, um, he had been replaced by Philip Schofield, who was sort of like this, to me, like very, very beautiful, like brown haired hot guy. And then there was a, an adaptation of the Joseph story, like on TNT, I think. Oh. where Joseph was played by folks I'm gonna age myself here I know that you two are younger than me <laughs> so I don't like what who what was his name do you remember the the Anne Rice adaptation movie called Exit to Eden um I've heard of it Strictly Ballroom yeah, yeah. that's my mom's yeah. favorite that movie that guy the guy oh. but he played Joseph and it was just in a loincloth like the entire movie and I remember that being sort of like the, the time where I was sort of like oh Paul you know, like, Mercurio that's Paul Mercurio the like film that they the did? The Donny like, Osmond version? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, movie. I'm not attracted to Donny Osmond, but like when the Pharaoh came down for the first time, I was like, oh. Zach and Cody's dad from Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. What? Yeah, fun fact. Wow. Okay. Ooh, what's his name? I don't know. No. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> well, that was the thing. I loved how, how many shirtless people were in every production of Joseph. Yeah. Um. So Joseph is, <laughs> is what you're, like is a what you're saying. Answer. <laughs> Listen, I have been in so many community theater productions of Joseph from like ages 5 to 13. Mm-hmm. I honestly probably could sing the whole score right now. I I I, I, could I absolutely love that yeah. show. So absolutely no shame here about <laughs> Joseph. And what's what's really interesting about thinking about these adaptations too is that there I don't see a lot of adaptations of scripture where a director or a writer are really like exploring again what we talked about with sort of like how you can play around with mythology. Mm-hmm. Most of them are sort of like just straight up adaptation. talking about the Bible that you had when you were younger, and you said a word that I don't super know, Mm -hmm. but you were talking about the verses that homophobic people can use. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think about, or what are your thoughts of people using passages from the Bible as Mm -hmm. something to forward a homophobic agenda? Mm -hmm. And I should preface it by saying, like, and I I assume that you you know this somewhat, but there are Christians in the world who, who will say, like, that I'm not Christian with everything that I am about to share with you. Okay. Like like the the way that I think about scripture and the way that I think of, of Christianity in the world, there are just people, especially fundamentalists who would say like, well, what he's espousing, like that's just not Christianity. So, you know, Screw that. Yeah, but, stupid. <laughs> but basically, I mean, so there are these things called clapper verses. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure like there are like seven that are that are basically like named as clapper verses. Okay. And and they're called that because fundamentalists use it to clobber got it, got people it, got over it. the head. They're like things that you might recognize, like when Adam and Eve, you know, are are in the Garden of Eden. There's this verse that's like, you know, God created the man and woman. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and, and I'm sure, like you, you, yeah. you would recognize this from like, like it's Adam and Eve, not, not Adam, Adam and Steve, Steve. Yeah. and then yeah. things like that. And then there are, you know, there's like Sodom and Gomorrah. A lot of fundamentalists think that that Sodom and Gomorrah came down and were destroyed because, you know, there were men having sex with men. Well, it's actually a story about hospitality. It's actually a story about how a town does not welcome strangers into their midst. What happens in that story? So there's a character named Lot. 
Okay. Who brings his family to Carolina Change, Lot's wife, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, okay. and, I'll, and I'll tell you about that too, because salt plays into this one too. Oh, okay. It's basically, uh, Lot brought his family to Sodom. They were strangers in the land. And essentially, and I'm going to skip over a bunch of stuff. That's fine. But basically, there's a moment where the men of Sodom come to the door and demand that they come out and, and want to, to know, quote unquote, know him, which, you know, we, we think means like, you know, to have sex mm -hmm. with, with him. In the biblical um, sense. In the biblical yeah. sense. <laughs> literally in the biblical <laughs> sense. That's where fundamentalists basically stop. They're like, well, the men of Sodom are asking for men to be sent out and they're going to have sex with them. And then Sodom was destroyed. So, so that must mean that God hates, you know, gay people. What they gloss over is that Lot almost instead sends his daughters out for the men to have oh. sex with. Which for me is the far more troubling, yeah. far more interesting thing for a hero of the Bible to do. But again, if we're thinking about these things as, as myth, if we're thinking about them as parables and stories and fables for us to, to look at as puzzle boxes, I think we don't look and say like, well, what do I do with the fact that I love Lot and he's doing this terrible thing? It's like, well, no, people are complicated. <laughs> like, let's mm -hmm. figure out, you know, what did this mean back then? Again, let's look at context. But to, to go back to answering your question, essentially God makes a path for Lot and his family to get out of Sodom before hmm. it's destroyed. And as they're leaving, their one rule is that they're not allowed to look back. At, and at Sodom as it's being destroyed, and Lot's wife looks back and she, she turns, turns into a I've seen that in a movie. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So then, what's Gomorrah? There are two cities. Oh. Oh. Got it. Got it. Got it. Sorry. Okay. I was like, I was conflating something. <laughs> I mean, because the well, Sodom, gets, says Sodom, Sodom, Sodom gets more airtime because it then is where we get the word Sodom. Right. Is Gomorrah where they were going or where they were coming? From? Sodom and Gomorrah are, are two cities that are both destroyed. Gotcha. Oh. Okay, okay, okay. But because there's this weird sexual element to it as well, and because we have so many like weird off translations that have come down through centuries, mm -hmm. fundamentalists who think that the Bible is just the word of God, that like this is a book that's cohesive and it like appeared one day in our hands and that God sent it down, they're able to look at it and say like, well, there were men having sex with men. So clearly that's the reason why the cities were destroyed. And it's like, there's so much more and there's so much more disturbing stuff in that, that basically I could and, and believe that anyone could explain away all of the clapper verses that are used, you know, against queer people. Mm -hmm. But I also am not one who kind of cherry picks things from the Bible anyway. I think that cherry picking the, the Bible and like saying like, well, this verse says this and this verse says this. The Bible is a book that was created over centuries by different people who, in my mind, were simply trying to figure out how to live ethically in the world, how to deal with what they thought the universe was telling them at any given moment, dealing with awe, dealing with mystery, trying to survive, and they were chronicling it as they as they went along. And so what we have now, what we call the Bible, are these like writings from mm -hmm. decades, centuries apart, all by different people, who like now we've decided like that this is that, that we should read it all in a row and that that's you know that's what Christianity has to say to the world. And it's just it's such a not only a, a, a silly, stupid way to approach the Bible, I think, but it like takes away from all of the awesomeness of what is actually in the Bible. And people who focus on those seven clapper verses, I think, are robbing themselves of like some great affirming things that I think are said about being yourself, about queering the world. I think that Jesus was a queer person in, in many ways. 
And I think that that's pretty obvious from a lot of things in the Bible, but the clobber verses that are used, I mean, are, are like across the board, basically used by fundamentalists to say that it's not welcoming to gay and lesbian people. Wait. <laughs> no more. I'm just very interested in yeah. what you just said about how you think that uh, Jesus is a queer person. Yeah. Not because I'm like, well, I have something to say about that, but sure. I've never heard anybody say anything mm -hmm. like that. So first of all, let's just put on the table that we don't know much about Jesus. Mm -hmm. We know things from these four gospels that were written decades after this historical person was murdered by the state, murdered mm -hmm. by the empire. This this social activist, this radical activist was murdered by, by the Roman Empire. And so I have to appreciate that first. But let's say that the stories are true, right? So these four gospels that were written, like the, let's say like the things that Jesus says, the things that it said Jesus did, that those things actually happened. Well, Jesus never got married. Jesus left his biological family and encouraged his disciples to leave their biological family. They created a chosen family together. There's a moment where Jesus calls a disciple John his beloved, and he doesn't call anybody else his beloved, but he talks about this disciple John. We even have a stained glass window of it in Judson, what John might have looked like, although all of the stained glass windows are white, like old churches. It's like, probably they didn't look like that. So he, he does that. I mean, he hung out with you know, the sex workers back then, he hung out with the poor, he hung out with basically the, the people who were considered the dregs of the earth. This is blowing my mind. I know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like uh. I'm really going through it right now, and, wow. And I also feel like, first of all, if he were, if he were celibate, that's a queer way to live, live in the world anyway, I think. So if he were completely asexual, queer, if he was having sex and he was in this chosen family, and he was hanging out with prostitutes and hanging out with, you know, with, with all of these other men and women and folks who had left their families. Like, he was having sex probably with, with some men. So I, I feel like there, there are, again, people who, who will think that that's completely sacrilegious, what I said. But my, my question back to them would be like, what's the harm in thinking he might have been? What's the harm in entertaining the thought that he was a queer person? Because Jesus is a bit like David Bowie to me. So okay. you look at David Bowie, right? Whoa, okay. okay. So you've got, you've got David Bowie. And when, when I say David Bowie, probably all three of us had like a different image of David Bowie that came up in our mind. Probably. Because he was a chameleon that changed his look, that changed his persona every minute, right? So we've got, like, I might have thought of... Oh, like, what's yours? <laughs> I always think of Jared from, uh, from Labyrinth. I was, that was mine! <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were all the same. We're all the same. Uh, you know, Guess we know who Jesus we, is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's ruined now. Um, I'll think of another one. I'll think of another one. We've got, like, the thin white duke. We've got Ziggy Stardust, mm -hmm. right? We've got yeah. all these things. So, so I'll think Major Bowie Tom. did that to himself, right? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. He was always but I think we do that to Jesus. Many, even Christians who say they believe the same thing, my Jesus is never going to be the Jesus that Donna is thinking of because not only is he mysterious because we don't know actually a lot about him, but because we're focusing on the, like my favorite Bible verse is when Jesus says, you know, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, but salt is worth nothing if you lose your saltiness and a light is worth nothing if you cover it up. It's my favorite song from Godspell. Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, it's, it's a perfect queer statement and a perfect queer song yeah. too, but that might not be, you know, my boss Donna's vision of Jesus at any given moment. So I think we should embrace 
the fact that Jesus is always going to be this slippery, chameleonic character to all of us and just say like, well, let's think of Jesus this way today. Let's think of him mm-hmm. this way in this sermon. In this service, we're going to think of Jesus as, you know, yes, he was actually a gay man who had a relationship with this beloved disciple, John. Which because- I can't even, I can't even think about it. <laughs> For me, it's like, it matters then very little whether that actually existed, because it Mm -hmm. could have existed. And that's what these mythological stories are for, to me. They're they're stories that don't have to be true, because they're always true. They're like fairy tales from which we can look and take different things and, and sort of think about our lives now. And if we don't do that, then we become fundamentalists who are cherry-picking these verses and sort of saying, like, well, no, you know, Jesus said he was going to bring a sword and not, you know, and, and, and that he was going to destroy, you know, he, he came for warfare. And it's like, well, who knows what was happening? If Jesus said that, maybe he had had a really terrible day and he was speaking to something really, yeah. really specific in that moment. These aren't universal things that he was saying in that moment. He wasn't telling you to go pick up a sword. That's the way that people die. When someone is looking at a scripture verse and saying like, God is speaking to me right now and it says this thing definitely and I have to go do it. That's the way that families are broken up. That's the way people kill themselves. That's the way that people kill other people. Instead, look at these things as suggestions, a book of questions. And I would think that that's the way that Jesus wanted us to to take all of his words as well. In actuality, Jesus most often spoke either in questions, so when people would ask him a question, he would he would send a question back, or he spoke in what are called parables, which oh, are these yeah. like short, pithy stories that are sort of like at the end you're sort of like, what the fuck? Like I don't <laughs> I don't totally get that. But they're meant for you to then look and say it's like a poem, you know. Let me let me look and see what I can glean from this thing that at the at first glance I don't think I understand. A broken stone and then... In preparation for this episode, I found myself on this website that may or may not have been called Bible.org. Uh-oh. I didn't really get too far into it. They had like a little search bar and I was like, homosexuality. And um, it brought up a whole bunch of questions and it was kind of like a frequently asked questions mm-hmm. page mm-hmm. of like, this is what people ask us and here's our response. And the response was like very intense. So I ended up not reading a lot of the responses. So these are not questions from me necessarily. These are questions that apparently people frequently ask. Mm-hmm. One, according to the Bible, does homosexuality send you to hell? I think there are definitely people who would say yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is no verse of the Bible that A, explicitly says that. There's also not, believe it or not, there's not a ton of verses in the Bible where, like, hell is a thing. Like, oh, you, wow. so basically, like, hell is something that we have kind of, like, created fan fiction about, you know, like, <laughs> that, that basically fundamentalists have created, like, all of these different, like, it's it's it, it's fan fiction. I mean, they, they kind of, like, have the, the canonical literature at the center of it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, there's this awful the thing. Why why don't we use this to tell everybody that they're sinful? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, and that so, makes sense because, I mean, hell is-
how it's like not a thing but, and for Jews because it's not in the Torah. The majority of Christian scripture is Hebrew scripture. Yeah. So if there's nothing about hell in there, that only leaves like a very yeah. small portion to be about hell. And I, I mean, I'm sure there are people who would challenge me on like what translations mean and whatever. But basically like, A, Jesus never says anything about hell. I don't know if you, if that's a surprise to you or, or what, but Jesus never says anything about hell. Now, there are people who would say that because Jesus came in a line of Jewish prophets, that he was just not saying something because he assumed that, you know, you just already knew the stuff that the Hebrew Bible said about mm -hmm. homosexuality. I think that's bogus. Like, first of all, he didn't say anything about it, so we can't put anything in his in his mouth. And B, all he was doing was hanging out with queer people <laughs> and, like, creating queer community. So, like, you do the math. I mean, I feel like he really had ideas about personal hell being not trying to create beloved community, not trying to queer yourself. And even the word repent that he he says the word repent actually means to turn around it doesn't oh. mean that you get on get down on your knees and like ask for for forgiveness for your sins what it means is that you have decided to queer who you thought you were and the assumptions that you had made and go a different direction. And we've totally like fucked up the word repent because when you hear me say repent, I'm sure that like it it like gives you the shivers and it gives me the shivers. And it's sort of like what a beautiful word repent yeah, actually wow. can be. And again, like I think that repent is it can be a queer word. It is about queering yourself. Does Jesus talk about heaven? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm glossing over like tons of stuff sure, as I yeah. say, but so I don't know if the two of you know like the the Lord's Prayer, right? So yeah. this this prayer that that now like basically anybody who went you know to school or to church as a as a child like has this memorized, right? I mm -hmm. do not know. It's a prayer that Jesus said like basically like this is the prayer that I'm going to give you that you should pray. Okay. Right? But it starts off you know and basically Jesus says you know essentially something about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Being Oh, okay. on earth. And so actually to me, whereas, you know, again, people who read the Bible as, as fundamentalists and, and read it literally, they, they're obsessed with this otherworldly thing, this heaven that you need to like repent and get rid of your sins and ask for forgiveness for so you can get into it. Actually in that prayer and beyond, Jesus is actually saying like, we're trying to create that here. Heaven can be here and we can, we can bring that into being here. Again, you know, there are, there are lots of people who interpret it a different way, but that to me is the beauty of this literature is that it's myth with which we should be able to ask questions and kind of figure it out together. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that Judaism does that better than anyone. I mean, Judaism has this tradition of midrash too, which mm -hmm. is basically like creating, again, like sort of fan fiction yeah. of like saying like, oh, well, there's this weird turn in this story where suddenly like they, they glossed over like 20 years. So let's tell a story about what those 20 years were about and totally, what happened. Yeah. And that to me is truly, truly beautiful and so much more activating than just saying like, well, this is what the Bible says and it has to be this. So let's, let's stay within those confines. You want to ask another question from Bible.org? In the eyes of God, What's the difference between homosexual temptation and sin? I can see in your eyes. <laughs> so no, I, don't, I had to like have I had to like go back and say like, wait, this is not them asking this question. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Or not. I'm gonna say that what they mean is in the eyes of God, meaning like what again? What does the Bible say about this? Yeah, I guess because you know I think it's worth saying that like I think that many people conflate like in the eyes of God would mean like literally what is said in the Bible, which I think is so, it, it discounts the fact that like the Bible being a human document, yeah. the Bible being a God document of it. people, yeah, just like 
dealing with mystery, dealing with awe, dealing with, with survival and ethics, like that to me is so much more special than like thinking that it appeared as like a chronicle of the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. But the difference between homosexual temptation and the difference between sin, sin. which by the way is a question that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> I just want to hug. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I, I mean, God doesn't say anything about it. People say a ton of stuff about it in the Bible. I tried to get that person to look at the fact that if you read the Bible in context, they really had no context for like same gender relationships being loving and being mm -hmm. consensual and being equally powerful on both sides. So really when a lot of the people of the Bible are talking about like men not sleeping with men, they were often talking about like pederasty. They were talking about mm -hmm. a power imbalance, a relationship, or about prostitution, again, where probably the put into prostitution, you know, at a very young age right. and, and was underage. So I think it's important and I think, and I wish that every, every Christian who feels like they have to ask this question, I wish they would just look and say like, who wrote the Bible? Not only were they people, but they were people who lived in a completely different time than we were afraid, were really, really concerned with like surviving in the world and not only them surviving, but their, their line surviving. Uh -huh. <laughs> they found me. <laughs> They're coming. They heard what they you said. <laughs> but I think, you know, they, they were not only concerned with like their, their own person surviving, but they were concerned with like their people surviving. So same gender relationships, you you're not gonna have offspring, yeah. so you're not gonna continue the line. Again, I, I think I'd say to the person, like, God God has nothing to say about it. People have tons to say about it. <laughs> so the last question. Oh my God, it's a It's so... a big one. Don't feel like you have to go on for two hours about it, but it's, but it's a big one. Is homosexuality an orientation God intended for some people, or is it a perversion of normal sexuality? I would say it's God intended for some people. And see, like, that, it's, it's such a, like, simple, easy yeah, answer. Like, and that website had like the most horrible thing. It went on for like ages and pages. And I was like, I can't. I mean, if I wanted to like continue to talk about it and I'll keep it short, but, but basically I don't know that God has intentions. I think of God as more of a web that connects us all. I think of God, I don't think of God anthropomorphically. I don't think of God as this being who sort of like chose you to be gay and you to be straight. And you. I think of, we have evolved into who we are and that again the, the gay and lesbian people because of oppression that we've faced for centuries we have figured out a way to queer ourselves and to survive queerly in the world and so now we become the base for how the rest of humanity can queer itself and and live queerly in the world and i think the queerest way you can live is to think that there's an interconnecting web holding all of us and hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know that God necessarily has intentions because I don't. I think we do things as human beings and we have to pay the consequences and try to heal from them. But I have faith that there's an undergirding connection that is supporting the interdependence of all of us and kind of like nudging us toward one another <laughs> at every turn. And when we mess up, kind of tries to steer us back. Um, and some people call that conscience. Some people <laughs> call that, you know, mm -hmm. but for me, it's helpful to call it God because that's my context. But but I don't think that there's a God who punishes me for, for something, you know, that I did or punishes, you know, 
26 people who get murdered in, in a church. Well, <laughs> I, got that, I, I brought that down. Like, no, you're just so... <laughs> like, we don't, even, we, we don't even have to be here. You're just like, you just talk and... <laughs> We just both really like you. <laughs> and we don't know how to express it. I like this, absolutely. Hey, Robert. Hey, what? How are you enjoying this episode of the podcast so far? I love it. Well, you know what I like more than this podcast? Hmm. I like watching the movie Me, Him, Her on Netflix. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, it's a movie about... I should have watched the commercial when you sent it to me. It's a movie about a gay couple and a lesbian couple, uh-huh. and it's got some cool people in it. Casey Wilson is in it, and I love her. Yeah. Five happy endings. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a movie club about it. Mm-hmm. And so everyone should go listen to it. No, everyone should go watch it and then listen to this podcast, but watch the movie and then tell us what you think of the movie, and then we'll talk about it in our movie club episode coming out on December 4th. <sighs> I am bad at improv. <laughs> <laughs> December 4th, movie episode. Me, him, her. Go watch it on Netflix. That's it. Cool. Micah, what time is it? It's time for one more thing. So my mom is obsessed with Inside the Actors Studio. And so I've seen a lot of episodes of it. And James Lipton, I don't know if either of you have ever seen the I show. Have, yeah. yeah. So James Lipton has this questionnaire that he does that's like 10 questions that he asks every person. And one of them is one that is sort of like thematically appropriate for this, which is if heaven exists, what would you want God to say to you when you get there? If there was a heaven and if there was a God there who was an anthropomorphic being, what would each of us want? that being to say when we get there. I chose, we have a lot of work to do. Growing up, I was led to believe of heaven as this kind of like utopia where you don't have to do anything and there's no stress and you just like lay back and relax for the rest of eternity. But that I would get very bored. Like I would love that for like a week. And then I'd be like, okay, well I have to like do something. But I also don't imagine heaven is like, you know, a metropolitan city, but I would want there to be something for me to like do. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Oh, Robert. Love it. I, it would be great if I got there and the like God being was just like, everything's going to be like fine now. And everything's like great here. And just like, let's go hang out and talk about why things were bad. Mm. And like, I'm going to explain it and you will understand why things were bad. And they're not going to be bad anymore. I think I would like to hear, I've been waiting for you. And that's because the closest that I've ever come to feeling heaven on earth was when I finally came out to my dad after not coming out to him for 10 years, fearing what he would say. And in the meantime, while I was sort of stressing about whether I would do it and what, what he would say, my father had been taking classes, he had been you know, studying how he could queer himself and be a supportive father for a gay son and I had never come out to him before. And so when I finally came out to him, he said, thank you for catching up. I've been waiting for you. I've been preparing for this and I'm ready. So you be ready. And I kind of like for God to say that to me too. Your dad is the best person. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh gosh. Um, Wow, okay. <laughs> well, thank you for coming in. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it was super sweet of you to be here and to get super personal with us about a heavy topic. Yeah, thank you so much. This was an amazing... You're my favorite guest so far, I'll say it. I'll take it. <laughs> Tom Phelan somewhere is like... I know. Ah. <laughs> if 
our listeners want to come to a service at Judson, how do they do that? We have a service uh, every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. We also have arts programs that are pretty off the wall, often queer Wednesday nights, uh, where there's always free food at seven and artists showing new work at eight o'clock. And I'm Micah at Judson.org, so they can write me at any moment. I even have a little list that I I send out an email to to tell people like when I'm speaking and what the service is going to be about. So if people want to be on another list, they can (laughs) erase another email. Then. Billy Ray was a preacher's son, and when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. That was so much fun. That was amazing. Micah is incredible. Mm -hmm. He, as amazing as it was listening to him, Mm For you listeners, I assure you, it was twice as amazing. He's so hearing warm that in person. and welcoming yeah. and open. And I didn't know that the things that he was talking about was what I wanted to hear. Yeah. I expected the conversation to go very differently. I feel like my psyche has been rocked. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's nothing we can say to end this episode that's going to be as, like, beautiful and earth-shattering as the stuff he just, like, casually said. I can think of something. What? Follow us on <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, one more thing. This is out and of control. Twitter at one more thing, and you can always subscribe. My we'll, God. I guess we'll we'll that see you so all funny. at Judson. Yeah, please. We're gonna be going back to Judson Church probably, and so join us for a service because it's it's a really incredible place. We had an amazing time. We're gonna go back. Let us know what other religions you'd like to hear us talk about. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Sarah Kleist for our microphone and Stephanie Hawkins for the pictures and Megan Burnett Dante Reed and 440 Studios for this space thank you to Donna who we didn't actually meet but we spoke to over email a couple of times who hooked us up with Micah yeah and did a great sermon the day that we went to church thank you to Micah a million times yeah really thank you to the founders of Judson Church thank you to bible.org and um thank you to uh you know our newfound queer friend Jesus And thank you to our pastor, Ana Verde. And thank you to our new producer, Tessa. Thank you to every hot Joseph that's ever been in Joseph the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat for changing lives. Thank you to Morgan James, who was the female Jesus in the Jesus Christ Superstar. We didn't that talk about that. And thank you, of course, to our friends with benefits, our very own congregation, our oh, congregation wow. over at patreon.com slash one more thing. Who are single-handedly funding all of season two. Is that it? Is that a way to Yeah, say? I think that's it. I guess we'll see you next week. Well, we'll see you on Wednesday for our newsletter and then on Friday for one last thing. And then we'll see you on Monday. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Really quickly before we get back on track, because we brought up Ryan Murphy, I do have a question, which is, did you watch the hit TV show Scream Queens? I watched the first season and the first two episodes of the second season. And you hated it? No, I loved the first season.